Welcome to First Church. My name is Chad, if you're new, and we are so glad that you chose to carve out some time to worship with us here today. In addition to everybody we have here in person, we have a great crowd. We also have hundreds of people worshiping with us online right now. So can you guys get loud and welcome in our online family? Let them know we're glad that they are worshiping with us. And you guys are here for week three of our Your Invited series, and today is Super Sunday. We have a superhero theme. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more in just a second. But every single week in this series, you know we've been giving something away. So we're going to give something away again today. Today, if you fill out an online connection card, either through our app or on our website, you can win a three-month membership to Time to Shine Car Wash here in Owasso. And you might be thinking, well, that's a cool prize and everything, but what does that have to do with super, superheroes? Well, you know, a superhero needs his ride to look good. So actually, we didn't know what to give away. So that's the only thing we come up with. So it fits, kind of, right? But still, it's a cool prize. So whether you're online or you're in person right now, fill out a connection card, and we would be happy to draw your name this week. Excited if we get to draw your name this week and give you that prize. And I was also told before I came out that we have Jackie worshiping with us online right now. So welcome, welcome to all of our online family. Well, like I said, today is week three of our You're Invited series, and every single week in this series, we've been throwing a party, a different kind of party. In our first week, we had a tailgate party, and that was a lot of fun. Last week, it was our Labor Day cookout, and if you were here, you know that we had food for everybody, but we also had like a hay maze and some games and stuff outside, and one thing we had was a train ride for our kids and our families, and my kids love this train ride. They rode it like a bunch of times. And so when I came outside, eventually, my kids were just like, hey, daddy, you got to ride it with us. And by the time I came out there, like there wasn't a line anymore and we could hop right on. And it was one of the last runs that the guy did who was driving the train. And so I think he, you know, just wanted to make it memorable. And so we took off and it was supposed to be just a little trip around our back drive and parking lot, make a circle and come back. But when he made that circle to come back, he kept going around and around and around and around. And I kid you not, I'm glad that I hadn't had lunch because I would have lost my lunch if I had anything on my stomach. I get motion sick and I was just like, oh man, I don't know if I can do this much longer. So eventually he comes back, he's done. I was happy, I was excited to get back to the starting point. So we get off this train and then he says, you guys wanna go again? And all the kids are like, yeah, let's do it again. I'm like, no, and he takes off again. And this time when he makes the loop, he does it even more around and around and around and around. And I'm like, your preacher's gonna throw up everywhere. I mean, that's what I was thinking, honestly. And we got back, uh, we got back to the starting point and we got off and I was happy when it ended. And I told Allison, I was like, I am so glad this is over because I was gonna get sick. And Alex looked at me and he said, you were gonna get sick, daddy? I was like, yeah, daddy get, has motion sickness. I was gonna get sick. And Alice looked at me and he goes, that would have been awesome. And I'm like, Thanks, buddy. Appreciate that a whole lot. But they had a blast. They enjoyed the train ride. They enjoyed the Labor Day cookout. Hopefully, you guys did as well. And today is Super Sunday. And you might be asking, why are we doing this? I mean, if you've already looked around, you know we have a superhero training center in our gym. We have uh, cardboard cutouts you can take pictures with. We have live superhero characters here. There are popsicles that we're giving away. There's face painting. There's all sorts of fun stuff going on. And why are we doing all this as a church? Well, the reason why we're throwing a party every single week in this series is because of how we see God's church. See, Jesus tells us this in the Gospel of John. He's speaking to his disciples, and look at what he says. I have told you these things. In other words, I've taught you all this stuff so that you will be filled with my 
joy, not just any joy, but my joy, the joy of heaven. Yes, your joy will overflow. In other words, Jesus expects his followers, his people, his church to be a people of celebration, a people of joy. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, because the tomb is empty, we have reason today to celebrate. And it doesn't mean that life is always going to be easy. Jesus isn't talking about us having a superficial, fake kind of happiness where we just always walk around with a smile on our faces. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying that we have this inner joy that continues to drive us and motivate us as we live life because we know since the tomb is empty that hopelessness is a lie. Where we are today is not where we will always be. And we know that darkness is fading away, that death has been defeated, that pain is temporary. We have a hope that is outside of this world. And because of that, we always have reason to celebrate. We have reason for joy. See, this is how we see the church. We see the church as God's community where the joy of heaven invades the sadness of earth. You know, there's a whole lot of sadness, a whole lot of heartache, a whole lot of pain in our world right now. And that's why Jesus came, so that we could have joy in the midst of this world. That's why the church exists, because we're not supposed to keep this joy to ourselves. We're supposed to overflow with it, as Jesus says, and share it with others. One thing I like to say is the church exists as a colony of heaven in the midst of a corrupt world, because we're a signpost to heaven. We're a preview of what's to come. We give people through our daily lives and through our actions, we give people a taste of God's joy, the joy of heaven, and that joy will change people. But here's the thing, not all churches get this. I don't know about you, but I've visited some churches before where they don't seem like they have a whole lot of joy. It's not really a place of celebration. In fact, the people who are part of those churches seem miserable, and they're constantly cynical and negative and judgmental, you name it. And you leave there more depressed than you did when you walked in. And I think to those churches, Paul would write to them what he wrote to the church in Galatia when he writes, what has happened to all your joy? In other words, you're supposed to have it. What happened to it? And we don't want this to be ever said of us. And if you're new here, I think the longer you worship with us, you will find out this isn't us. Because we are a people of celebration. Yes, we have bad days. Yes, life is tough. And we're not pretending. We're not faking happiness. But we have an inner joy that continues to drive us because we know that we have hope outside of this world. And that's why we see the church as the start of God's eternal party where the joy of heaven invades the sadness of earth. And so that's why we're throwing a party every single week because sometimes we need to be reminded we're called to be a people of celebration, a people who are unleashing joy on this world. And so today, our party theme, Super Sunday. And like I said, it's a superhero theme. And so some of the staff got together this past week and we thought, you know, if we're going to talk about superheroes, well, maybe we need to know a little bit more about superheroes. Maybe we need some superhero training. And so that's what we got this week. Take a look.
Welcome to Airbenders, everybody. My name is Zach. I'm gonna be like your mentor here today. Got some rings. Yeah, the things they made me do around here, yeah. Anyway, you know, being a superhero is a lot harder than it looks. But as a kid, I always wanted to be a superhero, and I'm sure I'm not alone when it comes to that. I want to be a superhero. In fact, I had a kid, I had a friend in the first grade, a classmate, who told me that he knew the secret to flying. He said there's a certain potion that his older brother told him about, that if you take Dr. Pepper and some orange juice, mix it together, but then also you take some Flintstone vitamins. You guys remember these? As a kid, we had Flintstone vitamins, yeah. If you take them and mash some of them up and put it in this concoction, I've got a hammer here to do this because I just like hitting things. Okay, there we go, that's good enough. And then put it in there and then mix it up that if you were to drink this, then you could temporarily fly. And I believed him. And for a while, I had the bruises to show it. And so I'm going to drink this for you right now. No, not really. You all thought I was going to, didn't you? Anybody want to try this? Anybody want to go? You guys are crazy. No, I'm not gonna let you try that. Man, that's, a, that's like disgusting. Anyway, all right. But the reason why I tried that was because I wanted to be a superhero and I was willing to do whatever it took in order to get there. In fact, as a kid, I even had superhero pajamas. This is a picture of my brother and me. And I know we look like a bunch of dorks. I'm glad I grew out of that stage. But still, uh, I wanted to be a superhero. I even had pajamas I would sleep in because that's who I wanted to be. But as I grew up and became adult, I realized something. That being a superhero isn't just hard. It's really impossible. Because the superheroes that I knew about, those who were in cartoons and in movies, they don't really exist. But even though they don't really exist, sometimes we wish they did. Because all of us go through seasons, we have moments when we, we wish that someone would come and rescue us and save us. That's the situation that the Israelites are in during the period of the judges. The period of the judges took place in the Old Testament and God's people, they were in some trouble and they were in desperate need of a hero. See, what was going on is that 
God had delivered his people from their oppression in Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt, but God rescued them from that. And then, with some time, he gave them a new land, the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a paradise of a land. And God just gave it into their hands and said, you guys can have it. And so they inherited this land, and everything was going great. But then some more time passed. And the Israelites, God's people, they forgot about God. And they started to live for themselves rather than living for God. And this is how the book of Judges describes the people in this day and age. It says, all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like another culture that you know? All the people did whatever was right in their own eyes. If it feels good, do it. If it makes me happy, I'm going to do it. Just because it's not true to you doesn't mean it's not true to me. I'm just going to do whatever seems right in my own eyes. This is how the people lived. And because they lived this way, God turned them over to the consequences of their decisions and their choices. And eventually, some foreign armies come in and they take over the land that God gave his people, take over the promised land. And that's the situation that the Israelites are in in Judges chapter 6, which is where we're going to study today. And in Judges chapter 6, the Midianites, a foreign army, a cruel, pagan, evil people came in and they oppressed the Israelites. They took over the land. And as we read what happens, we find out that the Israelites, they're living on the run. In fact, it says that the Israelites hid in holes in the mountains. They also hid in caves and other safe places. They're living on the run. They're living in holes. They're living in caves right now because they've been invaded by the nation of Midian. Now, here's the thing. God never intended his people to live like this. That wasn't his plan. When he gave them the promised land, that wasn't his plan. That's not what he intended for them. He had so much more in store for them, but this is where they were because of the decisions that they had made. You know, sometimes when I look at our lives, I think, man, God has so much more in store for us than what we often settle for. Because here's the thing, no one was put on the earth to live in caves and holes. No one was put on the earth to live in deep holes and dark caves. Just like no one was put on the earth to live in a abusive relationship. No one was put on the earth to be drained by an addiction. No one was put on the earth to just live for a dead-end job. No one was put on the earth to exist in isolation and loneliness. No one was put on the earth to live in constant fear and anxiety. And yet sometimes that's what we settle for because of the choices the decisions that we make. And so the Israelites, they realize that God had created them for more. And so once they hit rock bottom, they cry out to him. And listen to what the book of Judges goes on to tell us. It says, Israel was so severely weakened by Midian that the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. See, sometimes we have to hit rock bottom for us to realize what we're missing. And that's what happened here for God's people. They realized what they were missing, and what they were missing was God. 
See, whether you realize this or not, but all of us have one thing in common. We were all created to live in an active relationship with the God who loves us. We were created to live in relationship with him, the God who designed us, the God who made us, the God who has a purpose and a plan for our lives. And if we are not living in relationship with him, then our hearts will feel empty. We will never feel satisfied. We will never feel content. We will never be at peace. Our lives will continue to be unbalanced. We're all longing for the same thing. We're longing for a restored relationship with the God who created us and loves us and has a purpose for our lives. And what we need to realize is that God is the ultimate destination of all of our hearts. He is what our hearts are really longing for. And until we get this, until we understand this, we will exist, but we will never really live. Solomon who was king over Israel, at one point you've probably heard of him before, he got this, but it took him a long time to get it. See, Solomon arguably was at one point the wealthiest and most powerful man on earth as the king over Israel. And Solomon got all this power and got all this wealth because he followed God. But over time, once Solomon got wealth and power and status and stuff and all that, he forgot about God. And then he started to chase after other things to fill the void that was in his life. And so Solomon, he had everything at his fingertips. He chased after women. He chased after food and drink. He chased after the party scene. He chased after stuff and possessions. He chased after more power and more authority. He chased after popularity and prestige. He chased after everything this world had to offer, trying to find some sense of meaning, some sense of purpose. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, in the Bible, as an old man, Solomon writes about the pursuits of his life. And listen to what he says. He says, then I took a good look at everything I'd done and saw nothing but smoke, smoke and spitting into the wind. There was nothing to any of it, nothing. One translation says it was all meaningless. Everything was meaningless. Solomon said, I chased after everything, every pleasure this world had to offer. And in the end, it was all nothing. It was smoke that was here one day and gone the next. My life was reduced to nothing. And then, at the end of his book, look at what he says. This is what he's discovered as an old man. After everything that he experienced, he says, after all this, there is only one thing to say. Have reverence for God and obey his commands because this is all that we were created for. In other words, you really wanna live a full, content, satisfied life? Here's the secret. Live in relationship with God. Do it his way. Because in reality, that's all that we were created for. And if you pursue anything else in life and you don't have a relationship with him, you're just gonna end up feeling empty in the end. Your life will be reduced to nothing. I'm coaching my daughter Addie's soccer team. Now, I've told you before that I coach Alex in soccer, and I have been for several seasons now, but this year, Addie wanted to play soccer, and so I'm coaching four-year-old girls as well. Now, this was not the plan, because when Addie signed up, I said, that's great, I'll go to your games and all that kind of stuff, but I just don't have 
time in my schedule to coach two different teams. And so, I mean, I'm a busy guy. And so I said, I'll keep coaching Alex's team because I'm dedicated to that team, but I'll just have to come and cheer Eddie on. I don't have time to actually coach her team. And then we got an email after we signed her up that said that her team was without a coach. And I was like, oh, somebody will do it. Some parent would jump in. They're just four-year-olds, you know. And then we got a second email and a third email. And by the fifth email, fourth and fifth email, uh, I said, okay, I'll do it. And so now I'm coaching four-year-old four girls, and it's, it's a lot of fun. Let me tell you something. It is interesting. It's a whole new experience for me, but it is a blast. And we've had a couple practices so far, and I was stretching with these girls during one of our practices, and I'd forgotten about this when I coached uh, Alex when he was younger. As we do some of these stretches, they've never done these before, and so I had them stretch. Uh, stretch their quads. And I said, okay, pull your leg back and keep your balance and stretch. You know, stretch right here. And as soon as I had them lift one of their legs, they all fell right over. I mean, they hit the ground immediately. And I'm like, no, no, you got to keep your balance. Focus on something. You know, I'm trying to give them tips of how to do this. And so we tried it again. And they got back up and they pulled back a leg. And this time they start reaching for somebody else because they knew that they were unbalanced. And so they started reaching for a teammate that was beside them. And guess what? That teammate was just as unbalanced as they were, and so they fell over as well, and they fell down together. Everybody fell down a second time. The third time, we tried it again, and this time, do you know what Addie did? She ran over to Daddy, and she grabbed me, and she hung on to me, and guess what? She stood up the entire time, and you know what? In life, when life starts to get unbalanced, we're going to reach for something. We're going to grab for something, and if we reach for the wrong things, we're just going to fall down with it, but when we hang on to our Father... We can stand tall, stand secure and firm. See, that's why Jesus teaches us. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. You will live a fruitful life. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, your life will be reduced to nothing. Meaninglessness. And so, God's people realized our lives have been reduced to nothing. And so they cry out to God for help. And even though they had forgotten about God, God hadn't forgotten about them. God knows exactly what his people need. And what his people needed was a hero. So God sends one of his angels to speak to this man named Gideon. So this angel taps Gideon on the shoulder and he says, hey, God wants to use you to rescue his people from the situation they're in. And I love how this angel addresses Gideon. Look at what the angel says. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I love that. I mean, as a kid who wanted to be a superhero one day, how cool would that would have been? See, angels in the Bible, when they show up, they're not these little like childlike, innocent looking creatures. Every time an angel shows up in scripture, people typically, they hit the ground in fear because angels are these fierce warriors that are intimidating and almost scary to look at. And so this mighty angel of God appears before Gideon and he says, the Lord is with you, Gideon, oh mighty warrior. How cool would that would have been? I mean, if that was me, I'd have been like, all right, let's go. Let's do this thing. But that's not how Gideon responds. Look at how Gideon responds. But sir, I'm not sure if he said it like that, but that's how I read it, you know, when I see it. By the way, anytime your response to God is but, <laughs> you're in trouble, okay? But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about? 
the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. Gideon doesn't seem real enthused, does he? Gideon doesn't seem real excited. In fact, this angel comes and says, hey, God's got great plans for you, almighty warrior. And Gideon's like, yawn, not interested, sorry. If this is true, then how come God hasn't already done something? We've heard all these stories about God doing stuff in the past. How come God's not doing anything right now? You ever heard anybody say that before? Gideon is just not that excited. In fact, he kind of reminds me of um, this video I got this week. If you want to take a look at this dog who was given a treadmill to walk on, just tell. This dog isn't interested at all. Yawn, look at that. He's done, not enthused, not his thing. Move on to something else. And that's how Gideon kind of responds in this moment. And look at what he goes on to say after the angel says, no, no, I'm gonna be with you, God's with you. Look at what Gideon goes on to say. But Lord, there it is again. But Lord, Gideon asks, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. God, if I'm the best you got, you're in trouble. That's what Gideon says. My family, well, they're the weakest in my clan and I'm the worst in my family. And you're gonna pick me? God, you need a different plan. God, you need somebody else. There's no way that this can happen. Doesn't sound like a mighty warrior, does it? Why does this angel call Gideon a mighty warrior? I mean, this phrase, this term mighty warrior in Hebrew literally means an elite or brave champion. Gideon doesn't sound like a champion, does he? He doesn't sound like someone who's brave. He sounds like a coward. He's already given up and thrown in the towel and says, hey, the way things are, are the way that they're always going to be. And here's the thing. It's not just that Gideon doesn't sound like a mighty warrior. He's not acting like one either. Do you know what Gideon was doing when the angel appears to him? It says that he was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Now that's interesting because if you know about wine presses in Gideon's day and age, they were underground. Here's one that we have uncovered. They were underground. In order to thresh wheat in a wine press, you know what you need? Wind. And so Gideon is underground where there is no wind trying to do something that he has to have wind to do. He's not very bright for one thing. And then the other thing is why is he down there? Because he's hiding, he's scared. So he's not the sharpest tool in the shed. And he's also a coward. This is God's mighty warrior. Why in the world does God refer to Gideon as a brave champion, a mighty warrior? Well, here's a truth that we see all throughout Scripture, and I think it's a truth that probably some of us need to hear today, and it's this. God often refers to people not as they currently are, but as who they can become when they trust him. See, when God looks at you, he doesn't just see you for who you are right now. He sees you for who you can become when you start to trust him, when you surrender to him, when you fully follow him. He sees you for who you can become. And so when God looks at you, he wants you to realize your true potential when you actually do life with him. 
And when you do start to trust him, he can transform you so that your life can be everything that God intended it to be. And so Gideon, he says, okay, God, I'll see what you have for me. Now, here's the thing. Gideon agrees to listen to God, but he's still not quite trusting God. In fact, the Bible tells, and we don't have time to read about all this, but that Gideon will actually test God, put God to the test multiple different times. This is what Gideon does. He'll say, okay, God, if you're really God, and if you're really with me and all powerful and all that stuff, then prove it. Do this for me. He does that. Now, here's the thing. The Bible plainly tells us not to put God to the test. In fact, Jesus says this. Jesus says in Matthew 4, 7, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Pretty plain, isn't it? And when Jesus says this, he's actually quoting from the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, which Gideon would have had. And he's saying, the Bible says, don't put God to the test. And yet, that's exactly what Gideon does multiple times. And yet, even though he put God to the test, God didn't abandon Gideon. He didn't get mad at Gideon to the point that he says, okay, I'm just gonna move on and pick somebody else. No, God sticks with Gideon. God is extremely patient with Gideon. And I don't know about you, but I am so grateful for the patience of God. Because maybe I haven't gone out and said, hey God, prove to me that you're God by doing this. But I've tested God a lot in my actions. I've done a lot of stuff that has put God to the test. And I am so glad that God hasn't abandoned me because he should have abandoned me a long time ago. And probably you too. And as a church, we're not a church that says, we got it all together and we got it all figured out and we're perfect and all that. No, we're a church that knows that God has been eternally patient with us. And we're only here because of his grace. So God is patient with Gideon. He doesn't give up on Gideon. And eventually one day, God says, okay, Gideon, now's the time. Now's the time for you to go and take on the Midianites. Now it's time for you to be this brave warrior that I know you can be. And so Gideon says, okay, God. Now here's here's the thing. Gideon is scared. He's still scared. He still doesn't want to do it, but he does it anyway because that's really what God asks of us. See, God asks us to obey him and then leave the consequences to him. God asks us just to obey him, to trust him, and then we trust him with the consequences of what he's asking us to do because we know he has our best interest at heart. And so Gideon says, okay, what do I need to do, God? And God says, I want you to gather together the Israelite army. And so Gideon does it, and he gathers together 32,000 men to fight for the nation of Israel. That sounds like a big number, but here's the thing. Gideon is going up against the Midianite army which is about 135,000 fighting men. The odds are four to one. And so God appears to Gideon and he says, hey, Gideon, we have a numbers problem. And Gideon's like, yeah, you're telling me we have a numbers problem. Yeah, I mean, I got 32,000, Midian, they've got 135,000. You're telling me, God, what are we gonna do? And God says, this is what I want you to do. Go and stand before your army and tell your fighting men that if any of them are scared to fight, they can go home. And Gideon's like, huh? Yeah, go tell them, honorable discharge, they can go home, no problem. And Gideon's like, if I'm scared, do I get to go home? And God's like, no, no, not you, not you. So Gideon then goes and he stands before the army and 22,000 men leave and go home, pack up their bags and go home. Gideon's now left with 10,000 men. The odds are now 13 to one. And God appears to Gideon, he says, hey, Gideon, we've got a numbers problem. 
And Gideon's like, no, I'm good. I'm good, God. You don't have to do anything else. No, that's not what happens. God says, I want you to go and take those 10,000 men down to a body of water and let them drink. And if the men drink one way, keep them. If they drink another way, send them home. Gideon ends up sending home all of his men but 300. Only 300 fighting men are left. The odds are now 450 to one. And God says, I like those odds. We can go to war now. We can do this now. Those are the type of numbers that I like. And so sure enough, they go to war with 300 men against 135,000. Now why would God do this? Why would God make the situation look so impossible? Why would God use such a weak leader like Gideon, a coward, and the guy who wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed? Why would God use the weak and the outnumbered in order to accomplish his work? It's because when you read this story, you find out that it's God who's doing the work, not Gideon. You're not amazed by Gideon, you're amazed by God. And so what happens is Gideon goes and he leads the people and they end up defeating the Midianites. Again, we don't have time to read that whole story, but he defeats the Midianites. God gives them the victory. And what we see as we read about what happens is the hero of the story isn't Gideon, but it's God. Gideon on his own could not do any of this. But with God, Gideon could do the impossible. The hero that Israel needed was their God. And he's the same hero we need today. See, I think what this is teaching us is this. The hero of your story was never meant to be you. But God, it's never meant to be you. But God, and when we do trust him and allow him to be the hero of our story, he will work within our lives in ways that we thought were impossible. See, I had to learn this a long time ago and it took me a while to get this, but once I got it, it changed my life. That God is the ultimate hero of my story. Several years ago for Father's Day, my son brought this home. It says, some people don't believe in superheroes, but they haven't met my dad. And that's sweet and I love it. We still have it hanging up in our house. And don't misunderstand me. I, I want my son to respect me, to look up to me. I want to be a good godly example for him. I want to support him and be there for him in any way that I can. Don't misunderstand me. But my ultimate goal as a father is not for Alex or Addie to see me as their hero. My ultimate goal as a father is to point them to the true hero of their story, and that's their heavenly father. That's why I'm here. Because if they get to the end of their lives and I'm their hero, their ultimate hero, then I fail it as a father. Because I can't get them where they need to go. But if they get to the end of their lives and God is their hero, then they have hope that's everlasting. God was meant to be the hero of your story and my story. And when he is the hero of your story, you will find out that when, that when God is with you, you are never outnumbered. And that's what happens here in this passage in Judges chapter 6. And look at the result. It says... Thus Midian was subdued before the Israelites and did not raise its head again during Gideon's lifetime. The land enjoyed peace for 40 years. Can you imagine? Four decades, 40 years of peace and stability. Wouldn't you like to have that in our day and age? The reason why it happened wasn't because of Gideon's outstanding leadership. The reason why it happened 
was because God's people sought him as their hero. And when we look at our culture today and all the craziness and all the chaos and everything that we're experiencing today, wouldn't we love to have a time of peace? And guys, let me just tell you, the way to have that time of peace in our culture and in our families and in our lives is not by passing certain laws. It's not by putting the right people in office. It's not by picketing or writing petitions. The way that we will restore peace, stability in our culture is when we, as God's people, make him the hero of our lives. That's where it starts. And you might be thinking, but Chad, that happened a long time ago. That was back in the Old Testament time before Jesus. We live in a different day and age now. Do you know that Gideon is mentioned one time in the New Testament? And look at where he's mentioned in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11. This is the Faith Hall of Fame. When all these great men and women of faith are listed, and look at what it says as we get to the end of the Faith Hall of Fame. It says, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to talk about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets. These were all commended for their faith, great people of faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us. Who's the us there? It's the church. It's you and me. It's God's New Testament people so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Do you get what the author of Hebrews is saying here? What he's saying is everything that God did in the Old Testament, all these great examples of faith, everything he did through the life of Noah and Moses and Abraham and David and Elijah and Gideon, you name it, he did all that to get us to this point in history where his church could exist so that the joy of heaven could invade the sadness of earth through Jesus Christ. That's why God did everything he did to get us into the season that we are in right now because the world needs the joy of heaven and we have it in Jesus. And so when I look around our world today and all the chaos and everything that's going on, I don't get depressed. I get excited because the same God who was on the battlefield with Gideon is with his church today. And God wants to use us to change this culture around us because those 40 days of peace that Gideon experienced is nothing compared to what God has in store for his church. But the question is, what are we waiting for? Because the invitation is there. We just have to accept it. You're invited. You just have to accept it. And you have to ask yourself the question today, will you allow God to be the hero of your story. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for this day and this time we've had to open up your word and study it. And Father, I just pray that we will make you the hero of our story and we will teach others to make God the hero of their stories as well. And in so doing, you will do the impossible among us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.